0: First story was written by Beneficial Scars. i read it. I absolutely love it because holy moly, it's freaking creepy. Also, because as a child, the library was my absolute favorite place in the world to be. I've always loved being surrounded by books because it was like being surrounded by a million different worlds that I could visit or leave anytime I wanted to. The public library has an unused third floor. The public library has an unused third floor that the public is not allowed to go into. It is not used for staff, for storage, or for any technology at all. The elevator does not travel to that floor and the stairs pass the third floor landing without any acknowledgement. The building itself was seemingly built to include the third floor, but no possible way to access it. It has never had a maintenance issue, no leaks or broken windows to attend to. The third floor was a peculiarity in our small town but live here long enough and you never think about it anymore when i was nine i was nine when i saw her in the window i was incredibly proud of myself for biking to the library all by myself my mom had told me that i could pick up three books and then come straight home but i took my time there i had even stopped at the bakery on the way and now i had a chocolate croissant slowly oozing chocolate into my parka front pocket i locked my bike by the front entrance and looked up i don't know why i looked up maybe to take in the scenery that had come to demonstrate adult independence to me? She was in the third floor to the left of the third window and she was completely immobile. She looked down at me as if she had asked a question and was waiting on my reply. I didn't pay her much mind though as I thought she was just a patron or a library worker taking in the view. She watched as I made my way through the doors and into the cool air conditioning within. Children's was located on the second floor. Normally, this is where my mom steered me, but I figured that I was grown up enough now, and I made my way to the young adult section on the next floor. I'd been here many times with my mom, and I knew that while young adult was technically the fourth floor, it was the first floor up from the children's. When you're a kid, you don't really think much about things like that. It was just the way it was. So, I made my way up to the next floor and approached the large wooden door to the right. It looked like every other door in the library, completely innocuous. I pushed it open, and the smell of damp mustiness greeted me. The stacks inside were dark, and it didn't seem as if anyone was there. "'Can I help you?' a librarian asked off to my side. "'Yes,' I mustered up my most grown-up voice. "'I am here for the young adult literature.' She didn't say anything, but silently took me in. What must I have looked like to her? A dumb kid with scraped knees who had put too many syllables into the word literature She considered me for a moment and finally nodded, pointing further down the stacks and waving me off. I nodded genially and followed her pointing finger. I could only have imagined what kind of books awaited me in the young adult section. It wasn't entirely what I expected. I didn't understand a lot of the words and I feared that I'd made a mistake in venturing up to the young adult. Clearly, I was not ready for young adult literature if I couldn't even understand half the words or symbols. I knew it wasn't in another language because it didn't look like French or Spanish. It looked like English, but when my brain looked at it, the letters didn't seem to come together right. It was like there was a block in my brain intentionally blacking out or scrambling some of the letters so I couldn't quite get there. She appeared behind me suddenly. Can I help you find anything? she asked. Oh, um, I don't know. I like animal stuff. Do you have anything like that? I asked, wondering if maybe that was too babyish for young adults. She nodded and moved down the aisle next to me. I could see her face blurring between the books between us. She perused the shelves, occasionally pulled down a book or replaced one, until finally she came back. She handed them to me, and I almost fell under the weight. These books were bigger than any I'd ever read before. I could easily understand the titles, at least. Snake Tales and Other Warnings. The Jackal's Promise, and Loosen a Fox's Tongue were the titles she'd chosen for me. To be honest, they didn't seem like my kind of books. She looked down at me, waiting for my reply. These seem good, I fumbled. Please, she gestured to an armchair in the corner. take a seat and sample them. I did as she asked. Even now, all these years later, I still have trouble not listening when a librarian tells you to do something. I settled into the armchair, a small puff of dust rising as I sat down. It smelled as musty as the rest of it, but she was watching me, and I didn't want to seem rude. So I picked up the Jekyll's Promise and flipped the back, flipped to the front page. There was no space for an author. There was only a black and white sketch of a black Jekyll on a hill under a full moon. It seemed to be holding something in its front paw, but I couldn't figure out what it was. The ink strokes all seemed to bleed together. They're into each other, and the image got more muddled the longer I tried to decipher it. The words made sense all on their own, but I struggled with the sentences. I could catch basic descriptive words like yellow or insolent, but they didn't seem to make any sense together. I glanced up to see the librarian still watching me intently and began to read again. I felt more tired with every page I turned. My finger pads kept sticking to the pages. I licked them to try to get the pages to turn but if anything the pages became more like glue i pulled an index finger up and had taken part of the page with me the rip echoed through the stacks and i looked up expecting to be admonished but the librarian was no longer there i placed my finger back down to assess the damage i'd done to the book just a small rip it seemed to be oozing something viscous and milky though it moved lazily across the page towards my hand i couldn't move my finger anyway and I felt its cool dampness on the very tip of my finger. Then, the cool liquid pushed itself under my fingernail. The pain was excruciating. I tried to stand, but when the book fell off my lap, it took my body with it, and it felt like I was suddenly connected to a very heavy weight. I struggled with the book there on the dirty floor, and looked around desperately to see if the librarian would come to my rescue. She was there where she'd been when I first entered. She only watched me, looking more animated than I'd seen her yet. Her hands were curled into tight fists and she seemed to be only barely restraining herself. I felt like the mouse struggling in the glue trap that the school's janitor had placed out. I watched I had watched it struggle that day alone in the school's hall closet. Its whines were high and pitiful until it finally gnawed off the paw that it trapped it in the first place. I found it later curled up in a puddle of its own blood. Only now that I'm older do I see the parallels. Straps dog and stared at the ceiling above me. It seemed ironic that the first death I'd ever experienced in my life would be my own. Then, my phone rang. I turned to see that it had landed by where I'd fallen, tumbling out of my pocket with the chocolate croissant. The phone flashed, Mom. I didn't know how long I'd been gone, but she must have been furious that I wasn't home yet. The librarian, who was now standing closer than ever, froze still. She had been moving to reach for me when the phone rang. Now she stared transfixed at the bright light it, fed up, it lit up her face with a bright white light with every buzz i could feel the book loosening its grip on me and she retreated angrily away from the light and slipped off with an unpleasant noise and laid harmlessly on the floor beside me i picked up my phone and sprinted through the stacks my phone still buzzing incessantly if you've ever had a mom try to call you and get no answer you know that they don't stop calling the screen illuminated the floor before while flashing wildly until i reached the landing door i slammed it shut behind me and sprinted down the landing before glancing down at my hand the fingernail on my index finger was missing there was no blood at all it was as if it had been wiped away entirely never having existed in the first place no one has noticed that missing fingernail ever since i realized that i still had one of the books in my backpack that the library had Library and have recommended to me, loosen a fox's tongue. I went to return it to the library eventually after I gained my nerve back and I didn't want anything in my life that could be traced back to me, even unpaid library fines. I climbed my way to the third floor landing, hoping to simply leave it outside the door as an offering or maybe appeasement. However, there was no door on the third floor landing at all to leave it at. When I asked the library worker about it later, she said that there never had been. Is a reminder as to us. sometimes we shouldn't take Halloween too lightly, no matter what part of the world we are from. This was posted by Sunfred. Along came Halloween. As far as I know, most people in Africa are not familiar with Halloween. I once explained to an ex-girlfriend of mine that, It's a time of the year where people celebrate ghosts, and she almost slapped the black off my skin because she thought I was screwing with her. In retrospect, I didn't properly explain the creepy holiday. Anyway, the point is, most of my friends and family and relatives and associates don't know about Halloween. I'm from a country in southern Africa, and I have to be honest, Halloween is not a big deal here. I'm not going to disclose my name or my country Because some of the stuff in the story is illegal, and I don't fancy spending time in the big house again. I only know of Halloween because of the many European and American horror movies I watch. Not to mention, I am a devout patron of internet sites like Reddit and Creepypasta. Even with my knowledge of it, I was never big on Halloween. That all changed last year when certain circumstances led me to move back in with my parents. Let me first explain how this 35 year old man ended up staying with his parents again. I was never formally employed. I did several shady deals around town which provided for my bread and butter. I was what most people would refer to as a scammer or a con man or a con artist. Before you judge me, you should know that this was not my dream job profession when I was a kid. My country's economy is not that good and decent jobs are hard to come by. Anyway. One day, a deal went bad, and it cost me my house, furniture, and cars. This forced me back to my parents' home. I am not married, and I don't have any kids that I know of, so my parents didn't complain too much because I wasn't bringing extra mouths to feed. One night, in early October of last year, I was binge-reading stories on the internet when I realized that most of them were centered on Halloween. Excuse me. That's when it dawned on me that... We were close to the spooky holiday. A light bulb turned on in my head and dollar signs rolled up in front of my eyes. I had an idea. This idea was going to get me paid big time. I could feel it. I had to create a haunted house. I had the perfect house in mind. The house next door had been vacant for years. When I was growing up, different families moved in that house but never stayed for longer than a year. I never thought much about it but I figured it was because of the rent or the bills. My parents live in an opulent suburban neighborhood and most people can't handle the costs of staying in that area. I knew the real estate agency, which owns the house, and they had a security guard that watched over the place. I knew one of the guards, his name was George. He had dark skin, he was thin as a rack, bald as a coot, and had a mustache thick enough to put Super Mario to shame. Whenever I got the chance, I always chatted with him for a few hours. He would pour his heart out to me. He would talk about his wife, his family, his job, his boss, and a bunch of other things that I never cared to know about. It wasn't as I wasn't sure if he considered me a friend, and I wanted the situation, hmm, and I wanted to use this situation to gauge the nature of our relationship. I approached George with the proposal of using the house as a haunted attraction for a few hours during his shift, and he was hesitant at first. However, as someone who had whined to me about his measly salary, he agreed after I convinced him that this would be an opportunity for him to make some money on the side. He vehemently warned me that if he lost his job because of this, he would have my head. Since his job was usually boring as watching paint dry. He also offered to help me with running the haunted house, and this was music to my ears. I just needed one more person for assistance, and John happened to be that guy. John is a thick-set man who has always had the same crew-cut hairstyle ever since I met him in high school. I know I said he's thick-set, but if you say it through his face, he may drop you with a punch. He prefers to be called Big Bolt. John is a huge baby. He also lived with his parents, but he had a well-paying job as a baker at a local supermarket. He earned enough money to fend for himself, but I guess he still wanted his mother to do his laundry and his dad to check for monsters under his bed, which is why he was still residing at his childhood home. Anyway, John was also on board with helping out with the haunted house, and he even made posters to advertise the place. He put them up all over the neighborhood. He also bought discarded cookies and muffins from the bakery which he suggested we give to our customers after they had gone through the haunted house. I loved the idea because it really captured the Halloween concept of trick or treat even though we were actually giving both a trick and treat to our customers. It also meant that we would be charging the customers more so I gave a double thumbs up to the idea. Next, I needed props to decorate the house. Since I was dead broke, I had to work with what was at my disposal. My mother has a lot of bed sheets, which I borrowed without her knowledge. My younger sister Ruth was a hoarder of dolls when she was a child, but she neglected all of her toys when she reached puberty. My dad kept all of Ruth's dolls in the garage. I borrowed several of the dolls without telling them about it. So when I finally had my props and my team, I felt confident that this haunted house scheme would be a success. When we went to the house to set up for the first time, I was shocked with the deplorable state of the place. I had never gone inside our neighboring house before. Every time I spoke with George, it was always outside the gate. The yard was choked with waist-high brown grass, and the windows were caked with dust. The seven-foot-tall Dura was mantled with green vines, and the wrought-iron front gate had enough rust to give you tetanus just by looking at it. The kitchen was a typical suburban home painted with a... mm, Oop. The house was a typical suburban home painted white with a sloping blue roof. It had three bedrooms, a toilet, a kitchen, a lounge, and a dining room. The little bit of furniture it had was decrepit and filled with either dust or cobwebs. The place was already creepy and required minimal effort on our behalf. George told us that the house has an electrical problem, so it didn't have power. His bosses had sworn to get the problem fixed, but hadn't done anything about it yet. We didn't mind the lack of power because it served our purpose well, actually. It took us half a day to set everything that we needed up. Our target audience were kids, preferably b- below 13, since they weren't that hard to scare, and so we didn't have to go full cycle on the decorations. So the rundown haunted house was simple. As soon as our customers arrived, the front gate will appear to have swung open by itself, but in reality it was being pulled open by George using a wire. He would be hiding deep in the thick brown grass in the yard. The customers would be met by a small wooden table with a glass jar labeled feed me where they would pay their admission fee if they pay George was supposed to play a recording of witches laughing from his phone if they didn't pay George was supposed to pay a recording of barking dogs John and I would be inside the house if we heard the witches laughing from George's phone we would get into our positions if we heard the dogs barking it would mean approaching customers hadn't paid so we would lock the front door we were not going to entertain broke ass kids This was a business An illegal one, sure But a business, nonetheless Anyway, after the payment The customers would follow the concrete through the pavement Leading up up to the front door The pavement was smeared with ketchup Which I also borrowed from my home without telling anyone My mother became suspicious of how much How (laughs) My mother became suspicious of how the ketchup was finishing up so quickly Since my father really loved the stuff She considered him the biggest culprit, and I kept my mouth sipped. The walkway was flanked with tall brown grass, where we planted doll heads on sticks. The customers would walk down the pavement and enter through the front door, which led to a spacious lounge where dead lizards hung on strings and dangled down from the ceiling. George provided us with the dead lizards. I have no idea why he had them or where he got them, and frankly, I didn't want to know. The loud wailing of a baby would then arrest the attention of the customers, and they would follow the crying into the closet of one of the rooms. Before they reached the closet, a doll would pop up holding a butcher knife as it was meant to chase the customers out of the room. John would be in the closet playing the recording of a crying baby on his phone. He would also be the one pulling the strings for the doll to walk and make threatening gestures with its arms. This particular doll was spine-tingling to look at, even for me. I have no idea why my sister kept this thing as a child. It looked like a Chucky understudy because of its shiny porcelain skin, the nefarious smile on its scarred face, and its long bedraggled orange hair. The customers would then proceed to the main bedroom, where I will be at. We called this room the White Room. The room's furniture was... Only comprised of a small rickety table, a wooden rocking chair so large, and a large fitted-in bookshelf. All of the furniture would be shrouded in white bed sheets. I would also be cloaked by a white bed sheets, standing next to the bookshelf waiting for customers to enter. The bed sheet I often used was long enough to cover my whole body, including my feet. I was always confer- concerned that I would one day trip over myself and not only fall shame, but shamefully reveal myself to the customers. But thankfully, it never happened. When the customers entered my room, I was supposed to run at them and chase them out of the house. When they reached the gate, they would find the admission fee jar gone, and in its place there would be a plate of either a muffin or a cookie. Not a bad haunted house for guys with zero-dollar budget, huh? Business boomed in the first week. John marketed our house well. He po- his posters were quite alluring. I had warned him to only advertise in our neighborhood, as we didn't want George's bosses to finding out about this and us getting arrested. John even spread rumors that the old inhabitants of the house were Satanists who used to sacrifice children for fortune and fame. The news spread like wildfire and brought us in a lot of customers. Since our suburban neighborhood was extremely boring, people were always eager to jump at anything that entertained them. At first, mostly young kids were our biggest customers, but eventually teenagers and adults started to take an interest in our haunted house too. George's shift usually started late afternoon, and John finished work at midday, so we would open the haunted house at about 4 o'clock and close at around 7 p.m. For two amazing weeks, we made great money, which we split, split three ways. I was having the time of my life and thinking of milking this cow until it runs dry. I wanted to run this business until the end of the year, however, one fateful night forced us to retire early from this dream job that we didn't know we wanted. It was two days before Halloween, and it was almost closing time. It was already dark, and we had agreed to do one more act before we thought it a day. I heard a girl giggling from the hallway, and a guy's voice said, Oh my, that is scary. The sarcasm in his deep voice was all too evident. The group of customers was continued cackling, cackling as they made their way to my room. I heard one of them complaining about how this was a waste of money. They reached my room and stood by the door. The bed sheet festooning me was pure silk, so I could see through it. The glimmer of the moon spilling through the barren windows was enough to confirm me what I had already ex- d- suspected, d- 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 suspected. It was a group of teenagers. Teenagers were problematic for a lot of reasons. Most of the time they didn't want to pay, they were barely scared with our stunts, and some of them thought it was best to ride on the walls, steal or break something in the house before they left. This group comprised of two girls and one guy. One of the girls had dark skin, short hair, and hazel-brown eyes. The other girl had long black braids tied into a ponytail, light skin, and dark eyes. They were both wearing white jean shorts and were garbed by a pink and red tank top, respectively. The guy accompanying them was, well-built kid, was a well-built kid with a thick black afro. He wore skinny blue jeans and a gray t-shirt. What's going on in here, the guy asked as the trio walked into the room. The girls snickered as they swaggered close to each other. "'That's really innovative, dude. We can see you under the bedsheet,' the guy said. I sighed for being made out so easily, but then I realized the teenager wasn't walking or looking at me. He was looking the opposite side of where I was standing. In fact, all three of them were looking in that direction. I followed their gaze, and my heart stopped. A few feet to my right, there was somebody seated in the rocking chair in the room. The figure had the white bedsheet blanketing its humanoid body. My mind raced thinking of who it could be. I considered the possibility of George or John coming into my act. The figure slowly stood up from the rocking chair and the sound of snapping and cracking bones resonated from under the sheets. The humanoid figure stood at a colossal height. It was about eight foot tall and slim like a willow. Its shoes were sticking out from underneath the bedsheet. Its feet were facing sideways like how Charlie Chaplin used to stand. Just like Charlie Chaplin, its shoe size was ridiculously long. The shiny black leather shoes of the figure looked like the shoes of a cartoon clown. All of a sudden, the figure began to march towards the teenagers. With every step it took, its bugged bunny-sized shoes pounded the ground on the hardwood floor with force. The teenage girls wrapped their arms around each other and shuffled behind the boy. Hey, man, we get it. You're a ghost. You scared the girls. But now you need to stop, okay? Said the teenage boy like a bouncer. Walking up to someone causing problems at the club, the figure striding had a malicious intent towards it, and giant step were becoming rapidly, decreasing the distance between the teenagers. "'Okay, that's far enough, pal. Don't come any closer. I'm warning you. I've got skills of combat,' the boy yelled out at the figure. But the figure was already upon them. The teenage boy swung a punch at the bedsheet, and it flapped to the ground, revealing no one underneath it. The leather shoes that rivaled the size of a duck's feet had also disappeared." My knees wiggled as a wave of uneasiness jounced my scrawny body as I stared at the blanket bedsheet laying on the flat ground. <laughs> my knees wiggled and a wave of uneasiness jounced my scrawny body as I stared at the bedsheet lying on the flat ground. The teenagers' faces were all blanched with fear. The vanity of the girls had disappeared and the bravado of the boy had evaporated. They all screamed so loudly they didn't realize I was also screaming with them. I began running towards the door, and the teenagers noticed me. They probably thought I was another apparition coming towards them, and they bolted from the room. They ran down the hallway and went out the front door with lightning speed. Before I exited the white room, I was dumb enough to turn back around, and my heart jumped to my throat at what I saw. The bony, humanoid figure was erecting from the below the bedsheet. It stood once more at an abnormal height, and its inhumanly long shoes had reappeared. <laughs> I yanked my bed sheet to the floor and ran like the wind. I sped down the hallway and burst out the front door. I screamed for help from John or George, and I think I even yelled out for my mother in the process. George stopped me before I ran out of the gate, and he was asking me what was wrong, and I was too petrified to reply, so I just pointed at the house. John came wobbling out of the house and asked the same question as George. A couple of deep breaths later, and I tried to explain, but I was interrupted by a sound emanating from the house. It sounded like a crying baby. Did you leave your phone inside the house? I asked John. His reply shook me to the core. No, I have it with me. He even showed me. The crying baby became louder. It seemed like there was a crying baby in every room of the house. What is happening? George tremu- tremulously asked. No one replied to him, because we had all noticed a cadaverous figure covered in a white bedsheet was by the front door. Its protracted shoes were now hovering in the air. As the figure floated a few inches above the ground, the sound of crying children had reached my ears had reached ear shredding volumes. Some of the crying seemed to be coming from the dolls' heads on the sticks in the yard. My stomach was in knots as I noticed gobs of worms pouring out of the dolls' heads, mouths, and ears. The figure by the door stretched out its arms like Jesus on the cross, and one by one the lights in each room switched on. My mouth was dry and agape when I saw the dead lizards hanging from the ceiling in every room of the house. I don't remember putting up all those lizards, I heard Judge George mutter. The figure eventually lowered its arms and the lights simultaneously switched off. The front door abruptly slammed shut and the figure. in front of the figure and the crying ceased. That night, George stayed at our house. I f- forgot the explanation I gave my parents. But I guess it was more believable than the truth. Up until now I have never spoken about anyone spoken to anyone besides George and John about that night. I tried to convincing both of them that was it was a prank of some sort, but even I couldn't believe that. George quit his job the very next day. He used the money he made from the haunted house to open a truck tuck shop or barber shop or something. I told you. We made good money. John also quit his job and became a paranormal investigator. He goes around the country exploring, researching uh, ghosts in haunted places. His team once went to the house next door with cameras and a bunch of ghost busting equipment, but I never asked what they found as I had already seen enough. I moved out of my parents' house and I couldn't stand the sound of the baby crying that I always heard coming from next door in the middle of the night. I now have my own apartment on the east side of the country. I'm not an expert on Halloween, but I have a feeling it had something to do with whatever spirit that came after us that night. I once asked George if something like that had previously happened at the house and he said no. He had even asked the other guards and they said no they ever experienced anything of the sort during their shifts. (coughs) My reasoning is this. By celebrating Halloween, we may have invited or awoken something supernatural in the house. I know that sounds crazy, but John contacted me the other day and he said, according to his nationwide research, more people in the country are celebrating Halloween this year and based on the statistics, this year now has the most ghost sightings in the country's history.